Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Good to be in God's house this morning. Appreciate the song service and Brother Randy's comments about our joy. Satan does not want you to be joyful about anything. (laughs) Doesn't want us to see our blessings and the great things he's done for us, nor what his son has done for us. And appreciate that. Appreciate Brother Braden's prayer. He mentioned something in his prayer that I want to talk to you about today. He was talking about the suffering of the church in days gone by and that so far in our lifetime, we've not suffered as Christians. Uh, we, We may suffer one day. But this morning, I want to talk to you about some church history foretold by the Apostle Paul and also by John on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, There's a lot of history that we do not want to forget as God's people. Some of it is still unfolding. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, let's turn to Revelation 17. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get through this this morning. This may be a two-parter, so you may hear the next part of it next first Sunday. But this has really been on my heart over the last few weeks, and I've been doing a lot of reading about church history, and uh, I think it's important for us to know where we came from as God's people and as Christians. I'm going to read most of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start there. And then a brief commentary on that chapter, and then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 17. And both of these are uh, our visions that both of these men received from God. The Apostle Paul received this part, and then John on the Isle of Patmos received what's in Revelation. And these men, uh, I believe, did receive the same information from directly from the Holy Spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul marveled at John on the Isle of Patmos. He said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Such a man was caught up into the third heaven and heard words that were unspeakable for a man to utter. And I believe that was referring to John. Some people think Paul was talking about himself, but I believe he was referring to John on Patmos. So let's begin reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition." who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish 
because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Now this seems like a very confusing passage of Scripture, but when we stop and look at it, it's really not. Uh, Paul had spoken about the return of Jesus Christ on several occasions and even mentions when I was with you before. So apparently he had had quite a few conversations with the church at Thessalonica about the returning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul didn't know the exact time that Jesus would come back, nor does anybody uh, even today. But Paul had been taught by the Holy Spirit that something must happen before Jesus Christ would come back. And he mentions what's going to happen here in this chapter. Uh, The thing had already started. We can see that this is not some uh, way out view of a thousand years that it's going to start. But Paul says in verse 6 and 7, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So uh, it's already going on what's about to happen. So he saw it happening it was beginning to happen. Uh, you'll recall what he told the church at Ephesus. Remember when Paul sailed by Ephesus and the elders came out to meet him? This is in Acts chapter 20. And he also mentions there that this thing had already started. Notice he said, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves, which means it was presently happening, Shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them? Therefore, watch. And remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And you'll recall his letter to the church at Galatia when he said, I marvel that you are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So we understand that in the very beginning of the church, uh, and this, the Second Thessalonians was written around AD 54, 50 years after that, uh, after Christ, that there was in, false doctrines were already entering into the church, and there were men of perverse minds that were attempting to draw away disciples after themselves and were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, he said, let no man deceive you that this must happen first, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, who is this person anyway? Uh, There are some people that think this is a particular person yet to come. And when he comes, he's going to deceive everybody. But yet, when we understand who this person is, we know he's already here. He's been here. He's been here for a long time. Let's look at his description here in verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then you'll see over here in um, verse 9 that he has all power and signs and lying wonders. First thing he says about this man is he opposes God, but he deceives people by, by stating he believes in God. So he's not in direct opposi- uh, opposition to Christianity. This person isn't. But claims to have divine authority and works within the system to change it to his own desire and for his own benefit. 
Now think with me for a minute. I, I want you to come to this conclusion of who this person is all by yourself. He claims to be the head of the church. He dispenses laws of his own. He dictates and changes the doctrines and practices of the church by divine councils and synods. The second thing he does is he exalts himself above all that is called God. So he's exalting himself. He claims to be without sin, to have the power to forgive sins, gives this power to his false teachers, and he changes the doctrines of Jesus Christ. The third thing he does, he exalts himself above all that is worshipped, introduces the worship of angels, the worship of apostles, the worship of uh, statues, and places them in the church. Then he sits in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. So he has conferred upon himself the title Father, which Jesus said, Call no man Father. He claims to be the gateway of heaven, having power over the souls of all people. Are you beginning to understand who this person is? And he has power, signs, and lying wonders. Now those have been going on for centuries, lying signs and wonders, worshiping the bones of the apostles, so-called bones and relics of uh, dead people. Their blood is in vials. It has uh, supernatural powers over people. Um, it says that uh, in that very same verse, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Satan is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. This person has murdered hundreds of thousands of God's people, of Christians and saints. And uh, he pretends to work miracles. Well, this person uh, is not one person. This is the uh, description of a title of a person who is actually the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this person has not come into being yet, okay? Remember, Paul wrote this in A.D. 54. And we're going to give you some more evidence of this here in just a minute. But this was in A.D. 54, prior to the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church, which was around A.D. 330, something like that. My exact date, I may not have exactly right, but you can go back and, and you can read church history. There's a lot of wonderful books on church history. And, and as Christians today, we never want to forget church history, okay? Because Satan wants you to forget it. He wants you to forget how Christians have been murdered, how they have been persecuted, tortured, and all of the past. And I can tell you, my friends, uh, if some people had the authority to do so today, we would be in the same boat. You never want to forget church history. So you can go back and read uh, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire has a lot of church history in it. You can read Jones' church history, Schaff's history of the Christian church, Hassel's history of the Christian church, which was written by one of our own people. Those are great historical books that you need to have some knowledge of as God's people, just like you need to know about our country. You need to know about Pearl Harbor. You need to know about all of the wars that we've uh, gone through in our country. You need to have a knowledge of that, or we're sitting here as ignorant people. And Satan doesn't want you to remember all that, and he doesn't want you to know what this means, who this person is that uh, is, is being described here by the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul didn't know when Christ was coming, but he knew that all of this must come to pass before Christ would come, and most of it has come to pass, which we're going to see here and in Revelation chapter 17. And if you look at Revelation 13, most of the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled except for the last four chapters. So um, 
I've written some things down here uh, that I want to read to you today, so I hope you'll bear with me in the reading of this. Some of this is coming from the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Some of it's coming from Jones Church history. But this is historical information. It's just a little brief sketch of it. I mean, we have volumes of books that are written about church history. So uh, what I give you today is just scratching the surface. Hopefully it will... Uh, cause you to want to read a little bit about church history. So uh, from the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, um, uh, we read about a lot of the uh, martyrdom and persecution of Christians. But let's go back to Paul's day first when the mystery of iniquity had already started and give you just a little timeline because the first three centuries of the Christian church, the Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire, the Greeks, and even the Jews, and the worshipers of the false and pagan gods. Uh, That was 300 years that they were persecuted. There were times of reprieve that the Christians experienced from some of the rulers that um, backed away from persecuting them, but that was very short periods of time, maybe 50 years, 100 years. My friends, our country is only two or 300 years old, and so uh, you look at our country, and, uh, you know, we've had peace for a long time. But uh, from A.D. 54 to 68, Nero persecuted Christians. He arrested them, subjected them to horrifying forms of execution, Some were publicly crucified like Peter. Some were rolled and pictured, set on fire as living torches to light Nero's imperial gardens, and others were wrapped in animal skins and had wild dogs loose upon them and other animals as well. To denounce the false gods of the Greeks and the Roman Empire was an insult to them to say that the Caesars were no gods. And uh, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want uh, them to think that they were not gods or the people, the populace. So they put them to death with all these cruel inventions. Um, They invented ways to make Christians look bad. I think they were even blamed for the burning of Rome in many places. Uh, Gibbon's decline in fall says this, Our enemies thirst after the blood of innocent, cloaking their hatred with silly pretense that the Christians are the cause of all public calamities. If the river flows up to the walls, if the river Nile does not overflow the fields, if the heavens alter their course, if there be an earthquake, a famine, a plague, immediately the cry is, away with the Christians to the lions. So they were hated by almost everybody except themselves, and they were doomed to the most severe tortures. Another historian called Dr. Chandler's History of Persecutions during around the year 249, now this is before Constantine um, and the uh, beginning of the Roman Catholic Church, he said the most excessive and outrageous barbaries were made use of upon all who would not blaspheme Christ and offer incense to the imperial gods. They were publicly whipped drawn by the heels through the streets of cities, racked till every bone of their body was disjointed, had their teeth beat out, their noses, hands, and ears cut off, condemned to the mines, ground between stones, stoned to death, burned alive, thrown headlong from the high buildings, beheaded, smothered in burning lime kilns, run through the body with sharp spears, destroyed with hunger, thirst, and cold, thrown to the wild beasts, broiled on gridirons and slow fires, cast by heaps into the sea, crucified 
crucified, scraped to death with sharp shells, torn in pieces by the boughs of trees, and in a word destroyed by all the various methods that the most diabolical subtlety and malice could devise. Does that call, not cause your heart to just cry for the, our people in days gone by that suffered at the hands for, because of their confession of Jesus Christ? They confessed Christ, they would not denounce Christ, and they were willing to suffer for His sake. What a testimony to today to so many people that would not even want to go to church, but yet they claim that Jesus Christ did die for them. But this was something that God was allowing. Paul said, He that letteth will not, is letting this to happen, and the reason he was letting it happen was because this was a testimony to the church of Jesus Christ. Only those that really believed in Jesus Christ that loved Him would dare be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. They weren't offering coffee and donuts at the beginning of the services. They weren't worshiping in beautiful cathedrals. They were there because they loved the Lord Jesus Christ and they knew that their testimony for Him would be signed with their own blood. Jones Church History wrote, The publishers of the gospel, that means the ministers, were in general plain and unlearned men, destitute of all worldly influence and power, Their doctrine was in itself obnoxious and their appearance little calculated to procure it a favorable hearing, nor could they present the view of men any other inducement to embrace their testimony that the prospect of life and immortality in the world to come with the certainty that through much tribulation believers must enter into the kingdom of God. The general character of the disciples of Christ is that of a suffering people and notwithstanding some intervals of repose occasionally intervening in general the progress of the gospel is traced in the blood of the saints and its power and evidence made conspicuous in prevailing against the most formidable opposition. Thus, the excellence of its power appeared to be of God and not of man. So the power of the gospel was of God because people were willing to give their lives as a testimony. He also wrote, so long as the Christian profession was thus circumstanced, its success carried with it its own witness. But the scene is altogether changed when we view the state of matters after the ascension of Constantine, for then instead of the teachers of Christianity being called upon to show their attachment by self-denial and suffering for its sake, We see them exalted to worldly honor and dignity, and the holy and heavenly religion of Jesus converted into a system of pride, dominion, and hypocrisy, and became at length the means of gratifying the vilest lust and passions of the human heart. There was little encouragement for anyone to be embraced Christianity who did not discern somewhat of its truth and excellence. So what was allowing to work was this pagan empire. And God was allowing... Remember that in our world today, my friends. When you get all upset about everything going on, remember who's in charge. We don't know for what reason the Lord is allowing some things to happen today. Do what you can do, which is go to church and pray. If you do those two things and try to live a life that would honor God, that's what you are expected to do as God's people. So if you look at the uh, rise of Constantine uh, in around uh, 306, is when he became the emperor of Rome. He died in 337, but he made Christianity the national religion. He, he, he uh, decided, you know, I'm going to make Christianity the national, national religion. 
and I'm going to do away with paganism. And that's what he did. He put away all the pagan gods, the pagan temples. They were not allowed to worship anymore. And so he made Christianity the national religion. Now remember that also. We don't want Christianity to be the national religion because when you make it the national religion, who's going to be running it? Well, your present president and vice president and all the politicians and people like that will now be running the church of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened in the uh, time of Constantine. He invented the popes, the cardinals, the bishops. They presided over parishes, towns, and cities. Uh, They were given money and land uh, for their uh, serving him. People were required to go to Mass or be punished. Uh, The Catholic Church took their money, their land, their lives. Um, And this is the same thing that John saw in his vision uh, in the book of Revelation. John spoke about the church that came from the man of perdition that's written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So go to Revelation 17 with me now. And we're going to see John's vision of the same thing that Paul wrote about. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they talked together or... uh, But I know the Lord gave them the same vision. Now, as I said, the book of Revelation is mostly transpired already. Uh, People have these movies out and scaring people to death over what's going to happen in Revelation. Well, as God's people, you need to know something. You need to know some church history. You need to know what He's writing about here. Uh, The Lamb has already overcome... Satan held in the grave. This is a victory book. It's talking about the suffering of the saints and the return of Jesus Christ to the marriage of the Lamb, His people. And in 17, John gets the vision that there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, talked with me, and I'm not going to go into all the prophetic language or the symbolic language here. We don't have time this morning. But he said, Come, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, this is something that's yet to come. Remember, Revelation was written around AD 54, I believe. And uh, this is something yet to come, but John is seeing the suffering of the saints. All through Revelation, you see the blood of the saints, the suffering of the saints. And here you're seeing uh, another vision that John had. And here is the judgment of the great whore or, or the church that was spawned by the Pope and, and by uh, the church that Constantine started himself. And it sits upon many waters, many people, many nations, many countries. Where is it that we do not have this church or forms of this church? It's in every, almost every nation in every country. And we're going to look in just a moment at the influence that this church has had in every nation and in every country because this is exactly what God is giving John here on the Isle of Patmos. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the kings that gave their power to the popish religion of the Roman Catholic Church. You can go by and history, back and read history of all the kings that have given their, their power and their kingdoms The Pope was telling them what to do and when to do it. He ran the kingdoms for many, many centuries. 
and they're drunk with the wine of her fornication, the false doctrines that have been put out by the Roman Catholic Church. In verse 3, He carried me in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Of course, the woman is the Roman Catholic Church sitting up on a red horse, which was red by the blood of the saints that she is going to murder. And notice it has seven heads, excuse me, seven heads and ten horns. Now, just look on Wikipedia and and type in the seven mountains of Rome, and it'll give you a name for every one of those mountains. And those are the seven heads, the ten hordes, or ten ten kings and ten um, kingdoms in which the kingdom was divided. And these give their strength and power to this whore that's spoken of here. I hate to use that kind of language in church, but it's in the Bible. And that's what the Roman Catholic Church is referred to. And, of course, the wine of her fornication, as I said, is the false doctrine. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. What color are the cardinals? And what color does the, does, does the pope wear? They're exalting themselves. They're showing themselves to be somebody above God. Reminds me of the scribes and the Pharisees that were arrayed in purple. And decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. This church became very wealthy and very rich. And the way that she came very wealthy and very rich was by the, from the blood of the saints. They murdered hundreds of thousands of Christians, took their home, their possessions, their money, their land, put their children in in prisons, put their parents in prisons, fed them glass, and some of the children they gave and taught the catechisms of the Roman Catholic Church. Anytime you see a beautiful Roman cathedral, I want you to remember this. It was built on the blood of the saints of our people. That's where the money came from. Murdered people and took all of their things. That's why I cannot stand to look at a Roman cathedral with its golden arches and all of that because it was from the people that they murdered to get the money to do it. Now, I'm just giving you church history this morning, and this is something that we never want to forget. They're drinking from her cup all of the false doctrines and the abominations that she has taught. And upon her mystery, her, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. She is the mother of harlots. She is the mother of many false denominations and false churches today, of which I will give you the names of some of those that sprang from the Roman Catholic Church. Churches that came out of the Reformation are all those churches They're the children of the harlot. Uh, They preach most of the same doctrine, wear the same attire. They sprinkle their uh, converts and even children before they even know what's going on. All of this came from the Roman Catholic Church. She's in bed with every nation. That's why she's referred to as the whore. Verse 6. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. 
Now he's not admiring her, but he is. He just the vision itself was astonishing to him to imagine all of this that was going to happen. When all of this was going on, see, a lot of people today think that the Roman Catholic Church is the mother church of all churches, right? <laughs> Not so, my friends. Look over here in the next chapter, and I'm going to get to this maybe in a minute. Look at verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. And come out of her they did. The elect of God, those people that saw the false doctrines, they came out of the Roman Catholic Church. We're still the same church that Jesus Christ started. We were never a part of the Roman Catholic Church. But even in our country today, if you sign a lot of things, they'll say, are you a Protestant or are you a Catholic? You only get two choices. We're neither one. We never were a Catholic and we never were a Protestant. We are the true church of Jesus Christ and we can claim our lineage through the blood of the saints from the very day that they started murdering Christians in A.D. 50 and the very beginning of the Church of Jesus Christ. And if you want to read the footsteps of the flock, you can read some of these historical writings of the Church of Jesus Christ, and you'll be able to identify the Church because the Church of Jesus Christ has never persecuted anybody. I told a person one time, you know, that was a member of the Catholic Church, I said, you know the Catholic Church persecuted Christians. I said, well, they don't anymore. But you know, the fact of the matter is if they ever did, they weren't the church. And another fact of the matter is if they had the opportunity to do so again, they would. They would do it again. Again, in verse 7, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman. So this mystery has been revealed in the beast that careth her away, which has seven heads and ten horns. And then he talks about the beast was and is and is not shall go into perdition. And by the way, the name that word perdition is the same term that Jesus Christ used when he referred to Judas Iscariot. So just remember that if you think Judas is a child of God, you look at some of the definitions that Christ gave of him, and you'll know that he definitely was not. Here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads, and the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. The seven mountains. You see it? I mean, there's, there's... there's keys to the understanding of this within the book itself. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and give their power and strength to the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called the chosen and faithful and he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So you understand this is the same vision that the Apostle Paul had that he gave to us in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now just think with me for a moment. There's two more point, couple points I want to make before I close this morning. One is the false doctrines that came out of the Roman Catholic Church and are still prevailing in many places today. Paul wrote about it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now this latter times 
He's speaking, you know, of this time, which is going to be about 300 years later. Giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry. What's one of the qualifications of a cardinal or a pope? You cannot be married. The apostle, you know, the Bible never calls upon Christian ministers to live a celibate life. Paul said if you have the gift, that's fine. Peter was a married man. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats. We know all of the special diets that they have at certain times of the year at some of their worship times. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. I don't know about you, but I don't like, wouldn't want to be a vegetarian or have to eat fish at a certain time. You know, if I'm supposed to eat fish at a certain time, I might not catch any that week. <laughs> I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, you consider the mass, do- the the quantity of false doctrines that have come out of the Roman Catholic Church, and the, and and the effect it's had on multitudes of people. Infant baptism, which is not baptism at all. Confession of our sins to another sinner for forgiveness. Can you imagine sitting in a room with a curtain between you and another sinner and you're telling the other sinner your sins, thinking that other sinner is going to forgive you of your sins? Now that, that's, I mean, that would, be, that would be pretty convenient for most of us. I mean, if I messed up, I could just go tell this other guy what I did and it would be all right. Idolizing the saints with statues. Stating that the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ that the Pope is sinless, that he can forgive sins, that he and the clergy can canonize and change doctrines. The monks, the office of cardinals, nuns, other such names that are not in the Bible, and their pomp and show and the attire of what they wear in God's house. The worship of Mary, prayer beads. Did you know that they started the seminaries, musical instruments in the church, and the worshiping of angels? You know, they started, that's why people will put Gabriel and hang him on a chain on their mirror of their car. It, it came from the Roman Catholic Church. Pardons, indulgences, and calling the Pope Father. Jesus said, Call no man Father. For ye have, now I'm not talking about your dad, I'm talking about in the church, calling somebody father. But Jesus Jesus knew this was coming. Call no man father. Well, no, what do they call themselves? I mean, is that not blatantly ignoring something that's written in the Word of God? I've mentioned some of these practices, but the Roman Catholic Church founded the modern Sunday school, theological seminaries, and the so-called Christian school or school of catechists or Alexandria in Egypt about A.D. 180. One of the most permanent and wide-reaching results of this school was the philosophical invention and establishment of the doctrine of free will, the doctrine that the first step in every man's salvation must be taken by his own natural will. (coughs) That's pretty prevalent today, isn't it? As I said, the uh, musical instruments, women teachers and pastors, gay clergy, seminaries, stained glass windows, crosses in the sanctuaries, angel worship, Pictures of Jesus hanging from a cross, sprinkling babies and adults, all of these things uh, I've already mentioned. Even Christmas, Christmas was started by the Roman Catholic Church. 
the true Christian church has been persecuted by the Jews, the pagans, the Roman Catholic Church, and later by the Puritans themselves that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. That's something we need to know about. That's why a lot of our men don't want to hear anything about Puritans. I understand that. Not all Puritans persecuted Baptists, but a lot of them did. Because the Baptists required the Puritans that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. They understood the Roman Catholic Church was an error, and so they wanted to become members of some of our Baptist churches, and we required of them to be baptized again, and it made them mad, and they persecuted many of the Christians. Remember, we didn't come from the Protestant churches. Many churches uh, that came from the Roman Catholic Church, remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 4 and 1, and in that day shall seven women take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. We're in that day, my friends. Seven women are figurative of all of the false churches. They want to be called by their own name or by the name of Christ. They all want to be called a, a Christian church. But they want to eat their own bread and wear their own apparel. They want to preach their own doctrines and have their own practices, but yet they want to be referred to as the church of Jesus Christ. I'll give you the name of some of them that came out of the Reformation that we never were a part of, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, Quakers, Puritans, Anglicans, Greek Orthodox, all of those came out of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, you may say, well, Brother Sonny, you're talking about other people in other churches. I'm telling you what history has. You can look it up. It's all historical information. You'll find all those churches came out of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I have some friends that are members of all these churches. I have a friend that I play golf with a lot. He's a Catholic. He's one of the nicest guys I know, but he doesn't understand this. But he was telling me the other day about all the people he prays for. He said, I've got a card, and every morning I get up and I pray, and he prays for 200 people every morning. And he is a Roman Catholic. I'm not talking about the people that are members of the Roman Catholic Church or any of these other churches. God has people in all of these churches. Or he never would have said, come out of her, my people. But this is part of the history of the church that we never want to forget. I don't know if you've ever read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. We have a copy of it in our church. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a book that was talked about a lot of the martyrs of, of the Protestants. They came out of the Roman Catholic Church. But I love uh, something that Elder Harold Hunt brought up one time that I never thought about. Did you know that there's not one Baptist martyr in that book? Every one of it, it's, it exalts the Puritans and the uh, reformers that came out of the Roman Catholic Church, but it doesn't give any of our people at all when we were the ones that were persecuted more than any. I'll just say that Satan will do his best to hide the atrocities that have happened to Christians in the past and to exalt the man-made church. But there is a true church of Jesus Christ, and I believe I'm a member of it. We never need to forget who we are and where we came from. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching from one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things that are so common in the religion of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.